It's been said the two most important times in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why you were born. That's a good thing, isn't it? And that, that I believe that every man and woman on this earth is born for greatness. But the greatness doesn't come from within us. It comes from us being found in God. We are all born. That's a good thing. Did you know you're born? You might want to let your neighbor know you are born. You were born. But it's when we connect our humanity to God's divine will and the purpose for our life and step into the life that we are created for that we really find out why we were born and we're born for greatness. See, sometimes what you have to see is the outcome of your life because you can't see the outflow of your life. It's very hard. Have you ever felt like there's a ceiling on your life? I mean, there's just something there that you feel is holding you down that you can't seem to break through the ceiling, the lid. And so the ceiling, it could be of your potential. It could be of the capacity for your greatness or whatever it might be. There are real ceilings. Um, if you're a woman, you know the ceiling is different for women than it is for men. That uh, you've probably hit that ceiling many times. If you're an ethnic minority, you know the ceiling is different for you than it is for others. There are times that when culture and, and society and, and, and environment and relationships create ceilings for us that they impose them on us and I want to assure you that those ceilings cannot stop you from living the life that God has created you to live. And that's what this series is all about for the next couple of weeks. But the tragedy is not that there are external ceilings that have been placed on our life that we feel are holding us down. It's that the ceilings that really hold us back more than anything else from our fullest potential is there created in our own mind and heart. In other words, the ceiling may be you. The ceiling may be me that's holding us back from God's very best. And so what's, uh, when I was growing up, there was an amazing NBA team called the Chicago Bulls. And so you remember the Chicago Bulls, but what is the first name that comes to mind when I say the word Chicago Bulls? Michael Jordan, thank you for not saying Dennis Rodman, and uh, you got that one right. The Nike swoosh, the, the, the man head and shoulders above the rest, he was the greatest, a true superstar, he's an icon of the game, his brand is everywhere. Two years ago, he went back to Carolina where he played college ball, and he was at the Carolina and Duke, epic rivalries between good and evil right there, if you know, he... He gave a speech, it was stirring as MJ would do, and he said something at the end of his speech that was unforgettable, that, that he spoke before tens of thousands of people. He said, the ceiling is the roof. That's so profound, right? I don't even think I know what that means, to be honest with you. But the place erupted, the ceiling is the roof, and by the way, if nothing else changes you today, the ceiling is the roof. You should probably just leave here just feeling changed just by that, but it went viral, it really did. Shirts were made. The ceiling is the roof. I believe this, that my calling and this church's calling is that our ceiling is another generation's floor to another level. I really feel and know that based upon who God's called us to be, that we're called to set up future generations to win. The kingdom 
of God is generational. Did you know that? The kingdom of God is generational. Matter of fact, the word of God is generational as well. As you look in God's word, you have Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Esther and David. And then you get to the New Testament, Jesus. We see the word of God is generational. I mean, not many of us like to look backwards for very long, do we? No, because we like to look forward further down the road. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm chapter 45 and verse 16. It's on the screens uh, as well here in just a moment. But um, I'm going to go through that, a couple other scripture verses, then we're going to land in Philippians 3 before we're done today. But Psalm 45 verse 16 says, Instead of your fathers shall be your sons, whom you shall make princes in all of the earth. I will make your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, the people shall praise you forever and ever. It's amazing. That, that's what he's saying here, that there is a generational progress and movement to who God is and always has been. And I don't know, spiritual fathers and mothers that are here today, that you understand that in Christ, you and I are called to be spiritual fathers and mothers. It's pretty amazing when you think of it that way that you and I are just stewarding the plans and the purposes of God in this lifetime to be able to give to others that are in need of him, that we know that the kingdom of God is generational. So how does that make you feel, spiritual moms and dads in this room? It should make you feel great. This scripture verse, instead of your fathers, shall be your sons, so shall be your daughters, whom you shall make princes in all of the earth to give God praise forever. Wow. So it's a messianic psalm. It's messianic. In other words, it points to Jesus. This is a father to a son relationship, so it is generational. So our passion, I want you to understand, absolutely has to be Jesus. There's no ands, ifs, buts about it. Our passion is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about the brand. It's not about the logo. It's about passionately following Jesus Christ. And if you believe that, say yes. Amen? I hope at the celebration of my life service that it was said that I passionately followed Jesus. Now, I didn't say perfectly because I have not done that. But, but passionately followed Jesus. You know, when you get to funerals, at most funerals, most people lie. You know what I'm talking about, Right? You know, the, I, I had the honor to uh, do and preach my mom's funeral, and uh, I didn't have to lie because she lived a life of Christ-like character in everything that she did. I didn't have to lie. People got up and spoke about her life. They didn't have to lie. They spoke about who she was and the amazing difference she made of 76 years of her life. I hope that it can be said over us that we passionately followed Jesus in this lifetime. We followed him. See, the first church understood this. The first church in the New Testament, it wasn't consumed with how deep their theology was or what side of what issue they would be on. Can I hear an amen? Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say that in, in our day, most wrangles and 
quarrels and communication and miscommunication has come around this issue on how, well, how deep are you on your theology? What side of this issue are you on? The first church was just passionately in love with one person and his name was Jesus Christ because that's all that matters. Amen? I'm all for great theology, understand that as I get up here and speak, and I understand and making sure that's right. I'm not minimizing that, but sometimes we've made the peripheral more important than the person of Jesus. And if you passionately pursue Jesus, you will be affected by people who pursue religion, and they will hate you. If you are passionately in love with Jesus today, you will affect others that have mediocrity and live a mediocre life. When you live passionately for Jesus, you will redefine success in your life. And success, you know, cannot be defined by where you are at or how high you go. When you are pursuing Jesus, he will take you to a hill called Golgotha, the place of crucifixion. Not many of the disciples were found there. Not many were at the feet of Jesus when he hung on the cross. But the Bible says there were a few, John, his mother, and Mary Magdalene. When you understand that you and I were born for greatness, what you get is it seems like though you are going backwards for a little while before you even go forward. And if you're going to pursue Jesus, everyone might not be clapping for you. Matter of fact, there'll probably be a lot of people against you. You might not have many followers on your social media accounts. But Jesus said this of himself in John 6. He says, I am the bread of life. And then he follows that. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never, ever be thirsty. And here's what I want to say about that is people are tired of coming to church and there are only crumbs left when Jesus has promised the whole loaf a bread of who he is. Amen? People are looking for a new resurrected life. And we have to understand that this church's one passion is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that should consume us more than anything else. That, that if you ask me how and when I get excited, it's when I start talking about Jesus. My heart starts beating a little faster when I start thinking about Jesus and, and what he has done. You know, you know what it's like when you're really excited about something and you have to tell yourself to settle down? How many of you are with me, right? You, you, you're like, wow, this is coming. I see it. It's coming. I mean, you could walk into Starbucks. You, order, you take a deep breath. You're already excited. Your heart's already pounding. You can't wait to go through the line. You can't get out of my way. I can't get out of my way. I just want to get to the cup of coffee that, that I smell because, man, I am so excited about this. You have to calm yourself down. Or, or when you're, you're in the line at Chick-fil-A. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Chicken, 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 chicken. You just can't get, you just can't get it out of your mind, right? It's the only thing you think about and you, you get stirred. But you realize something you're so excited about. You're just like, man, i got to calm down a little bit here. When I, when I think about the Lord's goodness and all that he has done for me and how much he loves me, I mean, can we just be passionate about Jesus, church? Can we just be passionate about Jesus rather than what side we are or not on? Can the church of Jesus Christ just be passionate about the one who gave his life for us? 
can we just be passionate about that? You know, it's amazing. The early church got it right. There's some that didn't get it right, but for the most part, they did. But then you go into years back in church history, and you see many, many of the theologians that started dividing issues and the craziness, and you can go ahead and read all about that. It's just crazy, the things that they argued and they quarreled about it. It, it got ridiculous rather than staying passionate about who Jesus really is. Crazy. Success will not be defined with where you're at but it will be defined by your obedience. And if you're going to follow Jesus passionately, he's going to take you some places you don't even, won't even know how you got there and you're not even sure how you're going to get out because that's just what it means to follow Jesus. In Matthew 19, verse 27, Peter said it this way. He answered Jesus and said, we have left some things to follow you. Is that right? We have left those things that we didn't care about anyways. Is that right? No, he says, we left everything, Jesus, to follow you. What then will you have for us? It's amazing. It shows the disciples maturing. How many knows the disciples were called to mature? We're called to mature. We're called to maturity. And we're not going to stay the same. And we see the progression of the disciples because, man, you think, wow, before this, they were arguing, Jesus, who's going to be on your right and who's going to be on your left? Remember that conversation? Jesus is like, don't even worry about that. that. That's not the main goal. They're, they're standing before Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and they're arguing who's going to be at your right and who's going to be at your left. But you see the maturation process because then you get to Peter in this, in Matthew chapter 19, and it says the disciples were leaving. Peter said, we are not leaving. We left everything to follow you, Lord. So what do you have for us? Wow. Jesus said, I have something for you. And you, fo you follow the progression of Scripture. He says, I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man comes to sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. In verse 29, everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will also receive an inheritance into heaven. And I want you to see the key word is and in this. He is saying in this life, I'm going to give you 100 times reward if you follow me. If you follow me, I've got a hundredfold reward for you. That is an amazing return. I just want to challenge any of you today, tomorrow morning when your bank or credit union opens, you take your money in and you lay it down and you tell them, I would like a 100-fold return on this money. They're going to look at you crooked and probably call the police. It doesn't happen. It can't happen. But with God, it can. He said, there's a 100-fold return that I will give you. Jesus is saying, if you give me your life, I will give you 100 lifetimes of joy. What? Versus trying to get happiness. How many of you here have ever tried to grab a hold of happiness? Yes. Yes, Lord. We've tried, right? We try to grab onto it, and then we, have, we want to hold onto it. You know, in one moment you have the McDonald's fries and they are gone and then you look at the bottom of the bag and there's not even a bonus fry left. <laughs> right? It's like, what? 
No bonus right. The happiness is gone, right? The deal that you thought you had is gone after you read the fine print. Because why? Because happiness is fleeting. The greatness that God has for us is found in him and him alone, joy in his presence, passionately following him. He gives that kind of joy that you can have not only outside the fire, but you can have inside the fire that you are going through today. That's what I'm talking about. That's what his word is saying. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, and I love this because it puts it such a great way as Paul talks to this church and talks to us today. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life, are you serious? Are you serious? He says, if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, then act like it. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things where? Below. You gotta set yourself. You gotta set yourself. That's what he's saying. So seek here means to worship God and at the same point to plot against your endeavors. Seek, worship God, but you have to plot against your endeavors as well. Our endeavors, for the most part, are at odds with God on any given day. But to seek God means to let go of worshiping our plan and our endeavors. Because why? Because God won't share your heart with anything. With nothing. Nothing. Matter of fact, the Bible makes the claim, God says it himself, I'm a jealous God. I'm a jealous God. And I want all of you. And there shouldn't be anything else in your heart besides me. Because I love you. Some of you are confused why your business keeps getting cursed. Some of you are confused why things keep going the wrong direction. If it's success that takes you away from him, he will stop success to bring you back to him. If it's your kids that take you away from him, he will say, bring your son to this altar because I want to see how much you love me. We need to make Jesus our one and only passion, our pursuit. And he says, when you do that, he said, I'll give you 100 times more. We have to realize that many times our passions are at odds with our pursuits. If they are, we see that it's an idol. You know, our bank accounts show our, show our passions, don't they? We can look at anybody's bank account today and we find out quickly, what is your passion? Where are you spending your money? This other side of seek means to plot against life's desires. She says, to set your mind on things above, it means you've got to exercise your mind, right? How many of you exercise? You like to exercise. That's not bad. Not, not many people raising their hand or maybe don't want to, but you like to. I don't. Uh, I raise my hand to help you, but I don't exercise. Um, how many of you exercised once, one time, and said, hey, I look so much better? Thank you. Thank you for that hand. Yeah. Right. It's because you realize what? Well, exercise is more than a one-time thing. Right? But if all you do is exercise once, it's not growth. You have to keep doing that and go after it because it's a daily routine. So our daily passions need to be Jesus. There are different levels that we need to work out our exercise. Well, he says in this instance, you need to exercise your minds continually, putting your thoughts on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Josiah, my son, he's, he's, he's working out and he's been going to the gym and, and uh, he'll come in at night and say, wow, I had a good workout at the gym. And he says, my legs and my arms hurt. He'll say that the next day and I'll say, that's exactly why I don't work out, son. But, you know, just, <laughs> uh, that God, I am sorry, I put my thoughts more on my bills than I did on you. What I'm saying today is this isn't a place to beat yourself up. This is a place for you and I to get back up and put your mind and your heart and your passions on Jesus. Put your mind on the things above, and that is the path of greatness, not on things below. So the question comes for us is how much of your time this week have you put on things below? How much? Well, man, if we look at that, we'd probably say, well, in comparison to things above, I probably gave most of my time in putting my mind on the things that were below rather than above. Why? Because we are at war many times with the thoughts that we have and the passions we have, and what we need to do is passionately go after Jesus. And let me tell you something. Going after Jesus and passionately pursuing Jesus doesn't mean getting less. If you bought that, that's a lie. It's in getting more. But so many people think, well, going to Jesus, I'm just going to get less. No, it means getting more. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7, it says this, But whatever was to profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss in comparison to the surpassing greatness of knowing who? Christ. And we know there's a huge difference in knowing about Christ and knowing Christ. I mean, have you ever thought you knew someone you just walked up to, and man, you thought you knew someone, you, you know, they know you, and you go up and talk to them, and they're like, I don't even know you. So it's not only about us knowing God, it's about God knowing us. And we know him. And he wants to know us. It's about relationships. It's not, not just about studying about who God is. If you're just coming to church, you're learning about him. But, but it's in these moments that today, that as we come and as we minister, and whoever's behind the pulpit is ministering the word of God, that we hope to create a, a hunger inside of you with the help of the Holy Spirit that you would say as you leave this place, God, I never knew that about you, and I want to love you, and I want to know you more that you've created a hunger, a hunger. I believe that there are a lot of people who study God but don't know him. But I am believing today as we have started our, our, our campus in Clearbrook that, that I'm believing for more than church-swapping Christians, I'm believing for those who don't know Jesus outside the walls of our church that they would find the Lord Jesus so they're sealing can turn into a floor for the next generation. What are we saying? Well, in this series, Born for Greatness is being future-focused, not backwards. That Born for Greatness is really saying, hey, I'm being future-focused with who I do, who I talk with, and who I am, and my relationship with God, and my relationship with others, that it's purposeful, and so that we cannot be so amused with the crumbs of other generations, and I am thankful for other generations, but sometimes we're only amused 
with the crumbs of other generations. And I am thankful for the generations behind me. But we look at David and Daniel and Esther, Paul. But that you say, listen, what I want is an encounter with Jesus. And, and if you do, you and I need to let go of everything else because that's called radical discipleship. And once again, I come to the Word and I look at it and I don't see anything else besides radical discipleship. I don't see it. The half in, half out. I don't, I don't see that. I can't look at God's word and Jesus' words to me and say, well, it's, you know, if I really want to do this, or, I don't know, I'll take this and I'll, I'm not going to take that. But that I give up everything for the greatness of knowing my Lord. That when we passionately pursue Jesus, nothing else really matters. When I pursue him, he's all we care about. So, like, I'm married to Kristen, and I've been called to passionately pursue her. So that means that in my pursuit of her, I'm not going to pursue other things and other people. So that works the same way with God. Many times we don't equate it. We never turn that. But that, that if I'm going to pursue the Lord, then I'm saying, hey, I left everything to follow you, Lord. And yeah, I don't get to sing all right all the time. But Lord, you are the object of my desire. And I'm here to please you. Philippians 3, verse 12. Here's the pursuit challenge. Not that I have already obtained any of this. Paul says, I don't have it all down. I love Paul. He's just being real. I don't even have it all down. I haven't even obtained all this. You know, so if the apostle Paul doesn't have it all down, then stop being so religious and thinking we do. But I press to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. 13, or I have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of the prize with which Jesus took hold of me. And the one thing we realize is that at the end of our life is we, we get through this and we, what we have left is the most beautiful thing is our relationship with God. And that we will worship him and that's the pinnacle of who God is that in, in his universe, that's the highest place that we would be fully known by him. And then he tells us, you know, you can come boldly before me. And many times we don't come because we have maybe this invisible ceiling. We have this thing that's in our life that, that uh, we've added things into our life that are keeping us like excuses. We use excuses in, in that, from keeping us being passionate in our pursuit. We have these excuses that we give God all the time that, that you know, I, I can't do that because I'm too busy here. Or it's too much struggle, Lord, to follow you. I mean, serious, God. I mean, this is crazy. I look at the Bible. I can't even add up to all this. I don't even have enough time. So all these things, your, your passion, though, determines your direction and where you're going to go and what you're going to do. And we need to see God and know God. In verse 14, it says, forgetting what is behind me. Can you say forgetting? Forgetting. What is behind me, below me, and strain towards what is ahead. He says, all of us who are mature should take a full view of things, such a, should have this view of things, and I love this, and if at some point you think differently, I love this, that too God will make clear to you. Wow, God's got it settled, that means. You know, you may not see it this way, but God says, hey, I'm going to make it clear to you. That's his job. 
Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Well, what does that mean? Keep going in your direction in the passionate pursuit of Jesus. So what I'm telling you today is get back off the floor. Come on, get out of that valley. Come on, step back into that destiny that God has called you to live because you were born for greatness. Don't stay there. Good feet in the meter. Keep moving forward. Keep going passionately after him. He says, so keep headed that direction. That's, that's what he says. Keep attaining that. That's, that's where you should go. Join together in my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Some of us in this day, you may have trouble looking. Who should I be looking to? What should I be doing? You should be looking and I should be looking to those who are a model in the faith. And keep your eyes on that rather than what the world has fed us. Look at this, look at that, feed into this, buy this, buy that. He says, this is what you should do. You should find people that are further ahead of you in your faith, and they are models just like the Apostle Paul was and is to us today. He says, you should look to them. You should look to them as a model. And so he says, for as I told you before, now I tell you again with tears Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And he says there's a destiny for them, just like there's a destiny for those that follow Christ passionately. He says, verse 19, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Why did they get the destiny of destruction? Because of these things, their shame, their stomach, their mind is only on earthly things. But verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. And so what do we do with that? Well, he says, you eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do in him. And so Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. God's plans are to prosper you today and they're not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. And he says that when you call upon me, I will answer and I will listen when you seek me and you will find me because you will seek me with all of your heart. All of your heart. Come on, if you're having trouble finding God, are you seeking him with all of your heart? Or are you just part of the way in? Maybe you haven't been able to find him because you're just part of the way in. He says, you find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That there are things today that in our worship time, worship, you're giving up. You're giving God praise, but also you're giving up stuff and junk in your life, right? God, I can't praise you effectively when I got crap in my life. When I got stuff that's going on in there, there's, a, there's ceilings that I've placed on my own life, thought patterns, thinking below, that when I worship you, Lord, I'm giving that up. I'm giving up worth to you. I'm praising you. So the Bible says, hey, if he gave up his son for us, what wouldn't he give us? This is how much he loves us. So the Father has drawn us to his heart. So the way to greatness is this. If you try to hold on to your life, he says you're going to lose the whole thing. Listen, I'm not sure what you're trying to hold on to today. But listen, if it's the things below, he said, you're going down with the ship. It will sink. So I'm not sure what you're holding on to today. We realize that when we come and passionately pursue him, we gain a whole lot more. 
than we ever lose, that's for sure. A hundred times. What happens, you understand that access into certain environments is based on who you know, isn't it? That you only get into certain places in the proximity sometimes because it's who you know. And so you have access. So what do we get when we know God? Well, it gives you access into realms that you and I have never been to before. That knowing who God is and Him knowing us today gets us access to places you and I could never, ever get to in our own strength. But He gets us there because we know Him. Amen.